Welcome to the Middleman Podcast. Tyler Hall, Andrew Sweet on the track, here to provide tips, tricks, best practices from some of the world's leading middlemen in the business. Happy to be here. Enjoy the ride. here we're, we're, we're starting a podcast together and i'm really excited about it um you know i want to i want to maybe kick us off andrew with just talking a little bit about uh, about about why right people need to understand why there's two dudes um coming together again we there's probably been thousands of others that have tried to do the same thing but we feel like we have something different and something compelling for our listeners and so here at the middlemen podcast really our, our mission is is pretty simple, right? It's to provide our listeners with practical tips and, and methodologies and, um, you know, skills and practices to, to elevate their situation and put you on offense. So I'm going right into a sporting analogy, and I think you'll hear me do this very often. So if you don't like sports, I'm, I'm really sorry. Maybe this isn't the podcast for you. What? Um, from Wait, our, yeah, what, good, good job. Way to, way to eliminate <laughs> I, our audience. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I just good, eliminated good 90% of those that are listening to this. Um, but from our perspective and experiences, the majority of people today are, are simply playing on the wrong side of the field. They're playing defense. We feel like we've been fortunate in our journey and, and we aspire for something bigger and something better and greater. Andrew and I, we're not, we're not billionaires yet. We're not even multi-millionaires yet, but we've reached a place in our life that we call the middle of our journey. So we're in the top income bracket, really solid careers, um, and, and we've, got, we've got a desire to succeed, and, and we feel like we've had a nice upward trajectory over the last five, six, seven, eight years that are, that's really going to propel us into um, perhaps that next level. Right, we we want to score. We want to we want to have a touchdown here. Um, we want to have a touchdown. That sounded very intelligent. So uh, we're we're here really just to share some behaviors and some stories and experiences um, that got us here, and and perhaps some of the things that we're going to do to to elevate our game and get to the next level. Is that fair, Andrew? Did I did I say that okay? Did that sound too scripted for you? <laughs> I mean, it was it was pretty brutal, um, but you know we're we're learning. You're doing the best you can, uh, but no, you, I think you did a good job. I mean, more than anything, I think Tyler and I were we just want to help other people that you know maybe making a hundred grand a year seems crazy, or maybe making fifty grand a year seems crazy, right? I mean, I think there's a ton of resources available where you can go, you know, Google. Uh, you know Grant Cardone or, or or YouTube. You know Gary Vaynerchuk. You know all these guys that have you know hundred million dollar businesses. They're doing it. You know they they cuss and swear all the time, and, that, and that's all fine and good. I mean I love watching those guys. I think they're just a little unreachable for some of us, um, us included. I mean we're you know we do well, um, and I get a lot of value out of those guys. But I, I think um, I think we can provide a lot of value and just you know how do you, how do you get how do you get to making six figures doing it consistently. Um, you know, and how do you get into that place where maybe you can take it to the the next next level? Yeah, no, I I think that's really good, and and, and I think today 
I, I think what would be most valuable for our listeners is if we give if we gave them just a a taste of who we are, right? I think over the coming weeks and months, I think our listeners will learn more and more about our upbringing, uh, some of the some of the defining moments of our lives, and and perhaps some of the things that we've done to to get to where we are. But I think for today, I think if we can focus on maybe just a couple of things that will help provide some additional perspective for you and I, I think that would be helpful to our listeners. What do you think? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Is that fair? Yeah, um, yeah that's fair. T- tell me, tell me, Andrew, t- what, how do I ask this question? I want to, I want to ask the right question here. Okay. At what point in your life did you start thinking about what it is that you want to do, career aspirations, or um, you know, you know, help help our listeners understand maybe maybe that journey? Yeah, I mean, for for me, I was always a pretty a pretty driven kid. You know, I I, I was not the uh, a model child in my middle teenage years. I was kind of a, a PA, POS for the most part. I mean, I think my what is that? my mother and father. <laughs> I was a bad kid, man. I just, I just did everything bad you could from like, you know, 10 to 14 uh, grades, you know, stupid things, you name it, I did it. Um, but for me, uh, it was really going into my freshman year of high school. I was really, um, I just knew that um, I, I was a pretty good athlete. I thought that I could play in college and I had a dream of, um, you know, getting, getting to the big leagues as a baseball player. I actually wrote myself a letter in high school. Uh, in a psychology class, which it was something we had to do, but you had to write yourself a letter when you were like 20. Um, and then they mailed it to, you know, uh, and mine was something to the effect of like, Hey, I'm going to be playing, you know, big time college baseball. I'm going to be doing this, that, and the other thing, it'll be, you know, South or coastal or something like this. And most of those things for, uh, for, for lack of getting in the details now were, were there. Um, but for me, everything was around really, you know, getting to the show and setting out a plan for that. I mean, for the most part, every, every decision I made, you know, over, you know, my, my early teenage years was all about, you know, meeting, meeting that goal. But for me, that's when I really started thinking about it. And I knew that, um, you know, my, my parents were extremely hardworking, uh, always provided for my brother and my sister and I, you know, but we weren't rich, you know, but we weren't poor. You know, I, my first car was like a 1982 pony. I think that was like, they were still making cars out of steel, um, and before they moved to like fiber class, um, or just like the plastics, I think it was a tank. It was my sister's first car. It was my brother's first car and it was my first car. But, um, that's when I really got motivated. And, and obviously that motivation changed. It went from being, you know, j- just a baseball player. It was more tied into just being, um, hyper or, or super successful, whatever you want to call it. But th- that's when I really remember that transition happening. That's really interesting, right? So I had no idea about any of that, by the way, which, uh, again, I think we're going to learn a lot about each other as we do this. But, you know, for most people out there, becoming a professional athlete is probably never something that crosses their mind. And and most people, to be fair, played sports as, as a kid, whether you played up through high school or not, um, probably is irrelevant here but most people never have the thought of being a professional athlete at least at least by the time that they're in high school right to where it's actually something that for you probably felt pretty pretty attainable so um 
you know, for others out there, help put that maybe into perspective, right? This was the one thing, perhaps what I'm hearing, this is the one thing that you were banking on, right? This is the one thing that, um, that you were the best at, right? Some people are perhaps are the best at, um, uh, building things, right? So they know they want to aspire to be an engineer. Some, some people might be the best at designing things or, um, so, so help, help us maybe understand, like, you had this aspiration, you wanted to be a professional athlete, and, and eventually you, you did it, right? There, there was probably a lot that had to happen between having that thought as a freshman to actually executing against that. And that story is probably very long, but help us understand that journey. Yeah, I think I think more than anything, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I was always I was always pretty good at it, even from being you know real young. I realized that I had some some talents that were different. I mean, for me, kind of going to that same time period of being thirteen, fourteen years old, um, I actually I, I had a summer where I didn't play baseball, and it was a result of um, getting some bad grades. And my my parents put their foot down and said, "You're not going to play this summer." And I actually spent all summer. Uh, learning how to hit left-handed so I was right-handed um, but learned how to hit left-handed that entire summer literally just you know hitting off a tee you know doing all these crazy things to develop that skill um, and like you kind of flash forward a little bit you know that first year of high school I was able to hit pretty well left-handed um, and within you know by my sophomore year I, I was on varsity and I was one of the best hitters on the team and then as a junior and senior I was you know best one of the best hitters in the conference the state etc so for me that going able to pick something up at, at 13, 14 years old. And within a two or three year period, I was the best at it. Um, I, I knew that I had the ability to kind of like just pick something up and, and escalate it at, at the pace that I wanted to. So I think there was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy there of, I just kept adding to the skill set I already had. And it, you know, you get a certain level of confidence in that. Um, but then all the work that went along with it too. I mean, my, my parents were, um, super great about you know helping me put on weight and practicing i mean whatever whatever i needed to do they were all about it so um i think that's where the real the real vision starts to take place that's great i so i think a lot of people perhaps they think they're really good at something they, they perhaps they think they're the best at their trade similar to to the the mentality that you had but you know, what was it for you, Andrew, that validated that you were actually the best? Perhaps, you know, aside from the fact that maybe you had the best batting average, maybe you had the best fielding percentages, et cetera, like what, what things happened along the way to validate in your mind that that was something that you needed to pursue? I, I don't know if there's any one thing that happened for me. It was the it was a very simple thing that the fact that I knew that I worked so much harder than than everybody else, and that the results were so obvious. It just became so apparent to me that if I kept up that level of intensity, um, you know, talent's obviously going to be a, an incredible asset and, and need over that, or to make those things happen. But I was so confident that I could keep up that level of. Uh, intensity and practice or effort that I'd be able to control my own destiny. That's really what it came down to for me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good stuff. And I think, I think for anybody listening there, what I'm taking away from that is whether you're, whether you're the best or not, right. If you have something that you can identify as being a talent uh, for yourself 
And if you can just go and outwork everybody and put in the time, there's a pretty good chance that you're going to succeed, right? It's definitely helpful. That's for sure. Shameless plug, Grant Cardone 10X all day, baby. That's how we do it. <laughs> um, what? T- tell me about your relationship with success and failure. You know, I want to I want to shift gears a little bit from from what we were talking about previously. What's your relationship like with success and failure? I think it's uh, it's an intimate one. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, success for me is. Um, I, I think the things that I enjoy, obviously, so I was a, I was a baseball player. You fail a lot. I was, uh, I, I played golf competitively in high school, and you know, little little uh, amateur stuff after that. So golf was pretty tough. And then, as a, as a real professional, you know, for the last ten years plus, you know, being being in sales, I mean, that's a a failure driven endeavor. So failure for me is just easy. It's something that I've come to know very well. But, but you know, success is tricky. Um, I think anyone that's come from uh, you could say a middle class family, or you know, maybe from a lesser part. I think you have people that kind of go into one or two modes. One is, you know, I'm going to build myself up and I, I get everything I earn. But I think you you also get to a place where you feel some level of guilt. And I don't feel that guilt because I've, I've done anything unethically or I, I didn't earn what I have. I think it just comes down to I see other people that maybe I was kind of around in earlier places of my life and they haven't reached. The, the things that, that I've reached for. So my wife, you know, she does a good job of reminding me that, you know, we've earned everything we have, which is 100% true, but I still catch myself saying, you know, well, why do I keep finding uh, success and opportunities? And it's funny, you know, we, when you have nothing to lose, being aggressive is very easy. Taking chances is very easy. Taking on uh, bad debt and, you know, buying stuff you don't need, it was always very easy. It was very easy um, you know, after college, after baseball to do those types of things. Cause I didn't really have anything that I worried about. Now I flash forward, you know, five, seven, 10 years, you know, the college debt's gone. All my, my, my credit card debt's gone and savings growing, uh, investments growing, 401ks maxed out. I mean, you name it, you know, but now I got wife, I got kids, I, I have real risk. You know, there's things that, that can actually be lost. Um, and I think what you'll find with with people that start reaching these, you know, entry levels of success or, or these kind of these middle grounds of success where, where you and I, we talk about we are, if you really want to elevate, you know, and get to crazy places of excellence, you still got to be willing to take certain risks. Um, and that's something that I can acknowledge that that's been harder as, as I've gotten older uh, or, or not older, but maybe as I've, I've as I've started to feel um as to feel that that success. Now, going going back to I guess failure just real quickly, you know, I, I think people are either driven by you know they just love winning so much or they just feel failing. And for me, failure has always been more of the driver. I'm much more in fear of fair, fair, uh, failure, excuse me, than, than I am in the um, you know just love of winning. Um, believe me, I, I get a ton of excitement out of winning. Um, just the, the lingering effect just doesn't last as long at least in, in my life. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's a, there's a direct correlation between, you know, uh, I, I mean, the both, right. I think, I think failure and success are both things that, that oftentimes go hand in hand. And when we talk about risk, which is probably a topic we could talk about till we're blue in the face. Sometimes, sometimes when you take risks, you fail. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, when you take risks, you succeed. And I think there's, I think, I think the success 
at the end of the day, from a you know from a temporal perspective, is always going to outweigh the failure. At least that's the goal, right? You betcha. Well, uh, enough about me. You know, you playing Doctor Phil on me, I don't like it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on you a little bit. Start start asking you some questions. I'm more of an Oprah uh, type guy myself, but Doctor Phil works. Same same physique too. I mean, you know, six four, about a buck eighty, whatever whatever you weigh. Um, <laughs> tall glass of water. Um, Sob, I hate you. Two hundred. Um, by the if way, if you ever if you ever travel <laughs> if you ever travel with this clown uh, like I have, <laughs> this dude carries a like a lunch pail um, thing with, with his like special beef jerkies and, and crap. It's just sickening. But <laughs> hey, man, whatever you're into, I'm not going to judge. So. Tyler, it was plant-based, actually. There was no meat in that. <laughs> even, even worse. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody that like cares about plants, but that's just ridiculous. But anyway, um, what a you know, like give give me your scoop. I mean, what what was it like? You know, growing up. You know, I know you're an athlete too. Maybe take me through. Uh, maybe some big things that happened for you, and and maybe why you've been successful in, in the ways that you have similarly. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't even know where to start. Um, you know, I would say, for the most part, I look at athletes in two different ways. I think you've got the Ryan Clems of the world, and I say that because Ryan Clem is a young man who, a couple of years younger than I was, extremely, extremely talented, but I didn't put in the work. But was throwing, I mean, when we were, you know, he was 12, 13 years old, was throwing heat, was throwing 70, 71, 72 as a little kid. Right? Was this a kid? Like, did you go to what, like junior high or high school with this kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 I went, to, went to junior high with this kid. And he's the, he's the kind of guy that I look at and I say he's raw talent. So I, yep. I bring up him because I wasn't raw talent, if you will. I, I was a little bit pudgy as, as a youngster. When I say a little bit, I'm talking, you know, five foot four, five foot five as a, you know, as a 10, 11 year old and probably a buck 70, right? So, I mean, really, really pudgy when the majority of my classmates were probably a dollar, a dollar 10, dollar 20. Um, I, I was much bigger. And, you know, I just think for me, I was never the most gifted athlete. Um, my physical abilities were definitely not genetic. And eventually I grew into my body. But, you know, f- for me, the way I think about uh, athletics and sports growing up was I spent a ton of time, whether it was on the field, uh, in the gym, on the court, on the track, uh, developing myself to become the best that I could be. Right, and I looked at certain athletes of of that time, certain professionals and people that I could could you know um, uh, individuals that I that I sought after that I wanted to be like, and and people like Michael Jordan come to mind of guys that just never took a day off. Um, you know, their mentality was through the roof. They had this thing that I call the killer instinct. There's only a few athletes in our generation, I think, actually possess that. Um, and, and those were things that I had to uh, develop as an athlete because um, physically I, I wasn't as gifted as, as the Ryan Clems of the world. Well, Ryan, what's old, what's old Ryan Clem doing today? 
That's a great question. Have I know? To I know you that. stalk him. I know you stalk him on Facebook. Fifteen I, no plus years. <laughs> no, I, I I really have no idea. It would be interesting to find that out and 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 bring it up. In fact, maybe share this with him because, um, you know, he 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 was definitely one of those anomalies of our time. Ryan Clem. I'm actually on Facebook right now. Where does he live? I have no you have idea. Any idea. I have no idea. Seriously, right, well, it's it's been 15 plus years. We'll we'll find him though, and and we'll figure this out. We'll get yeah, down we to the figure, bottom of it. <laughs> I, I played baseball with a guy named Chris Clem. He was from, uh, he was like out out east. I think he was from Pennsylvania, and that guy was pretty legit too. Maybe they're cousins or something. It, it's got to be the. Uh, the the Clem gene or just uh, just freaks of nature, maybe. So I, I didn't know that about you. You know, being a little pudgy guy, you would never you would never think that with what you what you look like now. Um, so you got a little complex now. Oh, so that's thank good. You. That's, that's something I can give you a hard time about. <laughs> um, and no joking aside, it's not fun to pick on people, but Tyler's my friend, so I'm gonna pick on him. <laughs> so I mean, so geek. So I just think about, you know, you know, I was talking earlier about, you know, success, fear, you know, failure, all those types of things. You know, fear is, is, a, is a huge attribute for um, people that are, are going to go after success. You're going to be you're going to fear things. Um, I, I think one thing you and I could agree on is that people who are looking for success, they, they tend to be alone a lot because there's not a lot of people that, you know, really, really understand what you're going through. So may, maybe talk a little bit about where you've felt fear before, how you got over that stuff, you know, maybe how those things, uh, you know, transferred into other areas of your life. Oh, man. Um, you know, that it feels like that's the story of my life, right? As you started talking about uh, about success versus failure and being very in touch with failure and how, you know, risk and, and fear and how those things all go together, it was it was uh, it was ringing my bell for sure. You know, there was a time um, during college when I was when unfortunately uh, trying to pay my way through college and. I, I think I think the story of my life is I've done things a little bit backwards. I, I've always challenged the norm and the status quo, and one of those things was I didn't feel like I had to have a job during college, right? I, I think most people think I'm going to go wait tables or I'm going to go bus or I'm going to go, um, you know, whatever they're going to do. They're going to make minimum wage, uh, working long hours outside of school. For me, I felt like there was a better way to do it. Mm-hmm. And so what I started doing was, um, you know, I bought my first car uh, after after I came home from from serving a church service mission. I was 20 years old, 12, 21 years old, and uh, and I, I bought this car. And I, I realized that I had negotiated such a good deal on the car because of the limited funds that I had. Literally every dollar I saved up during high school is what I spent on this car. It was like seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and uh, you know, I realized that. Uh, I I got a steal on this thing. The guy was moving to Japan. Um, he had to sell it. He was asking nine thousand, actually ninety ninety eight hundred. And I pulled out seven thousand dollars cash. And something I've always been good at is sales and negotiating. And you know, just ask my parents, right? I thought you were going to say or, stealing or, or, or my wife. Yeah, yeah, no. So, yeah. Um, so, so. Anyways, I I told this guy. I, I said, hey, look, I'm I'm a poor college kid. Really want the car. It was an old Audi A4, 
sold it to me for 7,000 bucks. So to make a long story short, I, I realized that car with a couple of changes, a, a new set of tires and a new timing belt water pump was, was actually probably worth like $11,000. So four days later, I had done some changes to this car. Four days later, I sold it for um, $11,200. Okay, so I was probably 8000 all in. I netted about 3200 bucks. Um, so what, what do you remember this guy's name? I mean, if he's listening right now, he's probably pissed. <laughs> he, he's probably a little pissed, but hopefully he's still in Japan, far, far away from being able to... Uh, to, to do anything to me going back to your going back to your earlier statement about not feeling the pressure to have to work in college yeah yeah i don't want to interrupt your thought here but for me hearing that i'm kind of laughing a little bit because i at least the people <laughs> i went to college with they felt like you know they didn't have to i mean i i'm i'm actually encouraged a little bit that you were around a bunch of people that felt they needed to work through college well, you know, for me, the difference of, of me and some of those people you're talking about is my 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 dad was very successful, but um, also had a mentality of uh, teaching us to to earn our keep, right? To to work for uh, work for everything that we wanted, and I took that to heart, and, and and I took it very seriously. And in fact, to this day. Since the day I graduated high school, I haven't asked my dad for a dime, not not even one time. And um, you know, to I, I think to to so I, I knew I had to make money if I wanted to go to college, if I wanted to um, you know start my life. Um, I, I knew I had to make money. So uh, to make a long story short, I bought that first car, I sold it, I made three thousand bucks. That was more than I was going to make in any of these other jobs that you know, the rest of my peers were, were doing. And, uh, I repeated that same transaction, uh, about 60 times in the next 12 months. And I had netted over a hundred thousand dollars in cash. Now, if, if the wrong person got a hold of that statement, <laughs> they, they may be coming for me, right? Because, uh, I look back on it now. I didn't know this at the time, but I think that was very illegal. You can only <laughs> technically register a certain amount of cars. Nobody ever told me that. Nobody ever audited me. And so um, I, I bring that up because those 60 interactions with 60 different strangers as a seemingly young man, um, those were scary, right? Those were scary times. And and I remember on the first couple of times feeling really, really nervous, um, trying to be as authentic as I could, trying not to, to, to lie to them about the reason for buying the car. But at the same time, I, I knew I had to negotiate the right deal in order to make a profit. So for me, the, the more times I repeated that, the more comfortable I got and the easier it was to overcome that fear of meeting with complete strangers, right? So I did 60 transactions, but I probably met with 500 people to do those 60 transactions, right? That's a, that's a lot of people. So, um, you know, I think that's I think that's one example that, that comes to mind when I think about overcoming fear. Um, but hopefully, hopefully that helps kind of answer the question and paint the picture. So you, so you, those 60 transactions you said happened over a year period. Right. Yeah. So how did, I mean, how did you just not like, like at that point, I feel like a lot of people said, Hey man, I'm done with school. I'm just going to be slinging cars. 
I'm going to remodel cars, sling cars, and focus on that. It's kind of funny you say that because that was almost precisely my thought process. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't completely done with school, but in my mind, I thought, man, if there's a way to make a six-figure income doing this, right, it probably took me less than five hours a week, and I was buying on average about you know, close to a car a week and, and mm-hmm. turning it, flipping, right, is the right term, one car a week. Uh, not a lot of time, but a, a huge yield, a huge return. And so um, I, to answer your question, uh, I didn't completely drop out of school at that time, but it led me to a point to where I became a partner in a car dealership. Um, I, I ended up giving uh, a used car dealer who had about six cars on his lot um, almost three quarters of the money that I had saved to beef up his lot. I was a partner in that for about five years. And, and actually still today, I have some involvement in the auto industry because of that. So Andrew, I think that was good. I, um, you know, I think our, I think our listeners learned more about both of us. I think they'll get a taste of some of what we, uh, some of what we'll share during these podcasts. Is there anything that we, that you'd like to add? No, are, are we still are we still podcasting right now, or are we are we just talking? Yeah, no, we're podcasting for sure. Uh, no, no, I'm good. That's it. <laughs> can't wait, can't wait to close this loop and just light you up with feedback. That's what I'm looking awesome. forward to. Awesome, good stuff. Thanks. Thank you for joining another episode of the Middlemen Podcast. We thank you for joining us. And as always, it's the small and simple things that will enable you to live in the middle.